Hi, I'm Pam Mabry, and welcome to Break Free. Break Free is a podcast dedicated to men and women who need to break the cycle in their lives that's preventing them from moving forward. You know, there's Lisa Neal, the friend who helped me edit my first book. <laughs> there's, there's Lisa Neal, who is always taking people to a higher level. You took me to Africa, and that's where my life changed. Lisa Neal has done so much. So I can't wait to kind of hear your testimony. Is that saying Lisa was on her face on the garage floor of an empty house? Mm not knowing where she was gonna sleep the next night. That Lisa was homeless. That Lisa had lost everything. Within a 24 hour period, lost her children, her marriage, her home, her car, and was completely hopeless. Hmm. And that Lisa was just 11 years ago. That, you know, I'm just grateful every day. I'm just grateful to be alive and to be having a meaning and purpose in my life, yes. you know, because I can say that I truly appreciate that because I know what it's like not to have that and to, to, and to not see light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And truth be told, if it wasn't for somebody else seeing that light for me, I don't think I'd be here today. Mm. By the, but by the grace of God, somebody else saw the light and said, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm you coming with me. Who was that person? My twin sister. Who found me in that empty house? She found me. I actually called her uh, because I, you know, you know, when you're at your lowest point, you try, you try to think of who to call. For. Well, I wanted to call my mother, but my mother had nothing to do with me from birth. She just completely had nothing, didn't want anything to do with me. I tried to reach out to her year after year after year after year, and it was to no avail. Right. And uh, but but mama is mama, right? I mean, you know what I mean? That's just, it's like a gut. So the first thing I did before I found myself with, you know, on the floor, I borrowed a car to go see my mother. Mm. And my mother just looked at me and closed the door. Oh man. So I had to drive back in the rain to that house. That you and were on the floor. Fell on the floor. I just collapsed. Tell us how, how, what got you to that point where you're on the floor by yourself with, you know, with no one really to turn to. You know, that is a good question because now that I look back on it, there were things happening before my eyes, but I grew up with a coping mechanism that went to blindness and denial because it, the truth was too painful. Mm. And I can honestly say, I just didn't see it coming. I really didn't see it coming. My uh, husband at the time was unfaithful, uh, although I didn't know it. I mean, as far as I knew, we, something wasn't quite right. And I was, I was, he it was distant and, and I was wanting to, to reconnect, to connect and figure out what's going on. Let's, 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 let's go have dinner. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. Mm. 
because because he just late coming home, uh, very distant, very uh, emotionally not present. Hmm. And um, I was uh, just got laid off from a job. Was in transition, and uh, and so I I I he ran out the door and to work one day, just in a rush. Normally takes his laptop with him, but he left it on the counter. And I was cleaning up the kitchen. And I remembered where we were, we were living in a beautiful home, big, huge, brand new. Yeah. And um, I'm cleaning off the kitchen counter. And I was looking around this beautiful house thinking, you know, it's not things that make you happy. Yeah. You know, had a beautiful car, beautiful home, nice area, you know, money in the bank. Mm-hmm. It, it's not things that make you happy. I was realizing that as I, as I was wiping down the counters because I felt like I felt empty, like I, I wasn't connected with my husband. I felt like there was a hole. So you and I wasn't, when I wasn't happy, I was like, I know that I'm not happy. And it's not because I don't love him because I love them, love them to death. So I, 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 you know, turned around to close the lid on that laptop and the screen was black, but the moment I touched it, the screen lit up. I, it had been sleep. The screen lit up and it was on a Facebook page. And on that Facebook page was uh, a picture of a beautiful woman. I mean, absolutely gorgeous woman. I didn't know her, but just her her page was up there and and I was intrigued. And I was just very intrigued. So I was starting to read the messages below you know right uh, and something told me you should just check and see what uh, what's in the inbox and, and then you know the type of personality that i have is like oh no lisa you can't do that because that's that's not that's none of your business you know you can't be checking people's messages in their inbox <laughs> right. i mean that's kind of where i wasn't i thought but i was just compelled to and i did and that's when i realized that they were having a, a, a an extramarital relationship Mm. and even as I read what I read in my mind I was trying to explain it away right I was just trying to explain I mean it wasn't explicit or anything but it was just it it was one of those gut feelings like this is not just a friend so I kind of gathered myself and I had to muster up the courage to call them at work because I didn't want to call to confront. I just wanted to call to just say, you know, because I was thinking maybe this is a colleague from work. I met many colleagues from work, right? right? Had a lot of beautiful friends. You know, I wasn't an ugly duckling per se, but you know what? He had some really beautiful friends that I had got to know and became really good friends with. So I just thought maybe this is just a friend from work or something, but I know we need to talk. So I called and I just said, you know, you seem kind of distant, you, you know, you're late coming home. And I just, I, it just doesn't seem normal. I, maybe we can go have dinner. He says, okay. So mm-hmm. I hung up the phone. I'm excited at this point because he wants to go have dinner. I'm like, okay, I get up, I get all dressed up everything later on the day. Um, it was, a, you know, several hours before then. And I, I come down the stairs, I can hear him coming through the door and I'm all fixed up. And he walks in with a couple of tacos and he's sitting at this little kitchen diner table eating it just eating these tacos. And I look at him like he's crazy. I thought we were going to dinner. And he looked up after taking another bite. And these were the words. This was the beginning. He said, Lisa, I'm divorcing you. And it was like, it just, just, I felt like I felt numb, right? I I said, no, what are are you talking about? What what do you talk, what do you mean? No way. This is, you know, and he said, Lisa, 
get your head out of the sand. I mean, he didn't say it at that moment, but he was saying, I'm divorcing you. And, and, and as I tried to argue with him, I said, well, no, no, because you know what? You haven't been unfaithful. What's the reason why, you know, that I could see that there was another relationship, but there's not. He said, well, there is, and there has been for many years. And, oh, wow. and so he was very, very, um, um, I, just blunt and forthcoming with just overwhelming, overwhelming things that I just didn't even believe it, it was so uh, outside of my my frame of thinking that I, I refuse to believe any of it. And he says, oh, I'm not, I wouldn't lie about this, but he had already planned. He already had another place to stay, already had another race to, he had already had things planned. So then at that moment, he began to get his stuff packed up as I'm begging him to, you know, not to go. And literally within 24 hours, he had a U-Haul truck out there that had packed up the furniture, packed up everything in the house. And I, my, my whole intent was to run out and it was to beg him to take me with him. I knew where I was going to go. Mm. And he wouldn't take me with him. And, you know, I didn't realize just how, what was wrong with me to be of that mindset that I was, I was so emotionally and in every way dependent on him. Right. that uh when he left and he when he took the kids i just i could i was literally running behind him so he took the furniture the kids the, the only car well his car was in the shop so he took my car he never did get his car his car i guess something was wrong with his car but he never got that car back out but took my car so you had nothing i didn't have anything i didn't have a car i didn't have anything took what was in the bank took that took everything. But you had the house. No, 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 no. He wasn't. So when I was, I used to be in charge of the finances being the numbers person that I am, but I just started having questions because there were just, just kind of weird things happening. And I didn't know where the funds were going. It was cash taken out every month, you know, and I, I'm trying to reconcile the books. And, and when I asked about it, he got really upset and defensive and just said, I'm taking over the finances. And that was about a year prior when he did that mm. so I was like great that's the less one thing I have to think less to think about mm. so he didn't he was hiding the, the pain the we had already lost our home we owned we, we were renting this house mm. but he was hiding the uh past due rent payments notices oh he wasn't paying that so we were months and months and months behind. By the time he left, I only had a few days to get out the house. We were being you evicted. You are kidding me. We were being evicted. I had a few days to get out. Wow. So he had already planned not to stay. I already had another place to stay. And interestingly, though, when my sister came and got me, she actually came and stayed a, a couple of days. There was a few things left in the house that were mine, you know, uh, that she didn't really have room for in her house. So she was trying to get rid of them. And it was uh, then that my daughter came to the house and was with us. Um, and when, when he came back to the house to get those last few things, and he was, my daughter was in the car with him, she jumped out of his car at the last minute and came running to be with me. So my sister took me, she picked me up off the floor. She did. And she 
she took me to her house and she took me and my daughter with, were with her um, to her house. My daughter was there for one month and, and her dad came and got her. And it was as if uh, like, it was like pouring salt into a, you know, into a wound. But the thing is, my sister's house was very small. She, and I was sleeping in an office on, on the floor on a, on a Japanese cot. My daughter didn't have anywhere to sleep. She was sleeping on a wooden floor in the living room in the corner by the fireplace with on another little cot. And she was used to having her own space, her own room, her own everything. And, um, and, and she and her dad were close. And so, and he was talking with her every day and I was just trying to take in air and breathe and and trying to stay strong and it was really difficult. I wasn't able to be a mother to her at my sister's house. I was so devastated that my sister had to be a mother to her and to me. Mm. And, you know, and I don't necessarily blame myself for my daughter leaving because my daughter knew my heart and I did, you know, wrap my arms around her um, as weak as I was. Uh, but the relationship she had with her father was much stronger. Mm. It just kind of evolved over, over time to be. So, um, so that's, you know, in a nut, in a, the skinny version of what had happened over 22 years of marriage, he was unfaithful. Mm. Wow. Uh, and my best friend was one of the women that, that I love. Yeah. And several, and I, and I didn't really believe it, the words he said, because I felt like, you know, but it was when I found the phone book that was stuffed in the bottom of the drawer that had all of the names in it and the messages and the, all of the things, you know, <laughs> it was the evidence started coming out, you know? So, um, and I look back on that and I can say this, my son, my oldest son was uh, first year in college. My daughter was just starting um, junior high. My son had just started high school and my oldest son was, because college was a couple of miles down the street, came home. He was actually living in apartment housing out there. He came home to see this. And he, he saw me where I had collapsed again, upstairs in the house, in the closet, where my husband had stepped over me, taken all of his clothes out and all of that. And I was on the floor. And this was before my sister actually got there. And he, he picked me up and put me on the bed. And he said, Mom, do you remember Romans 8, 28? And, you know, I did, but at that moment, I don't know. I don't think I rem I couldn't think of anything. He says, mom, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and that are called according to his purpose. All things, he said, all things, mom, not just the good things, all the horrible things, the terrible things, all things work out for good. I'm, I'm choosing to believe that. Can you choose to believe that, mom? He leaned over me and said that. And at the mo at that moment, I couldn't choose to believe that. I it just I didn't have it in me. Yeah. And, and even at that moment, I couldn't even be appreciative of him saying it. You know, I am now. Oh my goodness, now am I now? Um, and and it was later that I began to think about that and was really grateful for that. Uh, but he, wow, I'm telling you, the seed that was planted somehow began to germinate and bear fruit at that moment. Um, I'm so grateful for to him for that. So what is your journey? What was your journey coming back? What got you back on the path of, of I guess, breaking free from this bondage that you had been in? Yeah. You know, I think for me, it, it really, the grace that was over me was that I, I was around people who cared 
and who saw in me what I didn't see in myself. Well, first of all, I had a twin sister who, even though we lived completely different lives, my mother loved and adored her, gave me away when I was born. <laughs> I didn't get to know and be nurtured by my mother. But when I did go back home at six, my sister more was, was more my protector. And she was, although we were twin sisters, she was like the older sister. Everybody even thought she was older. She just had that personality. I was very shy, timid and quiet and fearful. She was outspoken and bold and funny and audacious. Right. And, uh, and my mother treated her much, very, very different, almost like they were peers. My mother, my mother would be trying to whip me. She'd say, leave her alone. You know, I mean, so um, my twin sister, just had a took a paternal role for lack of a better word you know yeah. and she brought me to her house took me to her church and she gave me an ultimatum she said now you're either going to go I was she said there was a, a support program for loved ones of alcoholics called Al-Anon she said you're either going to go to this program or we're going to put you in the hospital she said you have a choice that's and, all you have. So was your husband an alcoholic he was. I mean, you know what? You say that to, to an alcoholic and they're never going to agree with you, right? <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it, you know, in the garage, you know, I found there was a big, big, big trash can, you know, that, you know, you have your recyclable trash and you have your other one. And, and there's another one. It was a huge one that had this white bag over it. And my son was telling me, mom, you know, that thing was filled with liquor, empty liquor bottles. He said, mm -hmm. you didn't know that dad drank, you know, he just didn't do it in the house, right? But when he wasn't coming home at night, he would come home drunk. Oh, I see. And that happened a couple of times. Um, but uh, it was in that program that I realized and began to see what I either didn't want to see or didn't know how to see. You know, just living in denial. You know, denial is just an acronym. Mm -hmm. Didn't even notice I was lying. I am lying. <laughs> just, mm -hmm. just didn't even notice I am lying. So um, I know that... Um, my twin sister was at there at the right time. She was in France with her in-laws when I called. So I was just like hopeless. No one, no one to call. Right. Um, and I even called my mother-in-law and she said, well, that you're not my blood. He's my blood. And she hung up on me. Oh, yes. And so my sister-in-law got the message somehow that I called and she came and saw me and picked me up. That was a turning point. Um, when I chose, no, I don't want to go into the hospital. So I went to this group and the church that she was a part of, even though I didn't want to be there, I'm telling you this, I just, I love this church because I, I'm like the only raisin in the bowl of rice, this big church. Okay. It's, I met you, so there were two raisins at one point. <laughs> you and me, we were the only chocolate, you know, the only chocolates in that cookie. So, um, but these people were, were, they were the most loving and gracious. And it really wasn't so much the people as it were just certain, certain people, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm on the back row of the pew crying with my head in my hands. Hmm. Yes, not just, I, I just, it was everything I took in me to be there because I just didn't want to be locked in the hospital, right? Because I was suicidal. But I have my head in my hands. I'm crying as the as the, the preacher is preaching. And, and I don't even realize the service is over. Everybody's gone. I'm just sitting on that pew, just buried with my head in my hands. And I feel the arms of somebody come alongside and sit on that pew next to me. And they, they just put their arm around me and they just begin to comfort me. And I'm just not, not even looking up because I just, you know, I don't, I, I don't even want to know. 
You're in your own world. I'm in my own world of pain, right? But these arms are on my shoulder. And eventually I look up over to my right. And it is a it is a young girl. It is a young girl. She's like she's a teenager. I think she was 13 or 14. Wow. Her name is Emma. To this day, when I speak about my testimony, I talk about Emma. Mm-hmm. Emma. It was something about her. And, you know, I looked up at her and she did not say a word. She just smiled at me and she just wrapped her arms around me. Ooh, I get teared up just thinking about that now because, <laughs> oh, and, she, and she has grown up now. She's, bless her heart. She's 20, what, 21, I think. 20, no, 23, 22. That was, that was a while, 10 years ago, I think. But she's a, she's, she's a young woman and she's just as amazing and beautiful. But from that moment that this young girl put her arm around me, embraced me, she would look for me at church. She would look for me and she would just, and I never had to say much to her. She didn't care. She just wanted me to know that she cared and she loved me. And I didn't even know her. Sometimes that's all you need. Girl, let me tell you, that was a turning point for me. Mm. It really was. To this day, you remember at the wedding, yeah. I had Emma come up because that girl, it, it, I, I don't have words for it. Yeah. But throughout this journey of healing, I got to experience, I got to experience what I never did before. You know, that's, I have a different, I have a different perspective about pain. That's why I say on the other side of pain is promised. And in the, in, in the between time, somebody else was having faith for me. Somebody else was having courage for me. Somebody else was having hope for me. That's what Inspiring Hearts is all about. It's, for, it's about having faith, hope, and courage, and love for those who don't have faith, courage, or hope, or love for themselves. Oh, I, I didn't have that. And so... In that, in that window, that space between the dark and the light at the end of the tunnel that you can't see, you know, there, I got to experience this from, from those that were put in my path. I'm just grateful. I'm just a, I'm a recipient of the blessing, right? And through my sister, through people at church, I remember when she, when we, I finally, you know, was able to work. I was finally to able to move out and get my own place. And you know, there was a couple that took me in for that that transition, the Conobetes, remember them? Um, And um, for uh, a couple of weeks there, or no, it was like three or three and a half weeks there. And then I got into my own place, right? It was just carpet and walls, that's it, nothing else. I had nothing to my name. Right. I didn't have dishes, plates, furniture, or anything. My sister and her husband had to go off to China. It was kind of a last minute thing. They actually relocated because he's a scientist and, you know, he was working out there. And it was a church I was a part of that actually threw a housewarming for me from my little apartment that I got. (laughs) A little housewarming. Lisa, what do you need? I said, well, uh, I don't know. She said, well, do you need pans? Yeah. Do Do you need towels? Yeah. Do you need... Uh, any furniture? Yeah. You need a bed? Yeah. I, I What do you need? Everything? I said, pretty much. It was just a floor. But my daughter came to stay with me at that point. And we just fell on the floor thanking the Lord that we had a place of our own. Mm. We had a place of our own. It was empty. Walls and carpet. <laughs> it was but it was ours. Mm. And that's a whole nother miracle in that story. 
chapter three. <laughs> but uh, and then so within three hours, people were bringing over plants, blankets, beds, pots and pans. I'm telling you, within three hours, I had I had furniture, I had all kinds of stuff in the house. And then on top of that, they threw a housewarming shower for me and, and showered me with all kinds of beautiful things and, and my daughter, Lauren. So mm -hmm. I just, it, I just felt like, wow, you know, and it was hard to receive it, but it was such a gift, such a, a beautiful gift. Wow. Yeah. So what is your, if you had to say something to someone who's going through a similar situation, say they're in a marriage um, they suspect their husband's cheating on them. Their self-esteem is low. Um, they're being controlled by fear. How do you break from that? You know, I can say that there's all types of prescriptions for everybody as individuals. You know, what works for one person may not work for another. Right. But I believe for me, there were two words I said, the most powerful words that could ever be said in my, in my experience. When I looked up and said, help me, I just said, God, help me. Hmm. I didn't know how the help was going to look, but at, at, there was a point where I was willing for help. Right. I, I didn't want to really, I really didn't want to die. Although I didn't want to live, I didn't really want to take my life. Right. I've been there, done that already, and was spared. Mm -hmm. I just wanted—I didn't want to be in the pain anymore. And having that willingness to say, "Help me," because I—I I truly believe that. You know, I never ask anyone. So, would you give this to me, or would you do that for me? It was just having that willingness and being still long enough to receive it. So, complete surrender. Complete surrender, like, you know, what, you know, being in that support group was an eye opener. It helped me to see where I, there were areas in my own life of wounds that needed to be healed. Being in um, Celebrate Recovery was a, a group that I was attending and I'm part of even to this day uh, to see my own brokenness and areas where I needed to grow and be healed mm -hmm. and to forgive. And to be able to walk in the freedom of that forgiveness, the peace of that forgiveness, it wasn't until I was able to really receive it for myself and be healed from my own wounds, you see, because there was not only the, the emotional wound and the tearing of divorce, but there was a physical wound. I was, I was attacked at 12, I have a knife to my stomach all the way down. To this day, I have that wound. That's another podcast. We're gonna go. <laughs> but I now I see that, and it's it it reminds me of just the victory, the healing that I have, the ultraviolet light of God's love. I call it. It's a healing that I couldn't perform on my own, right? So I think being willing to take advantage of the resources that were presented me. I had people that came around me, seven women. That picture's right there. You're one of them. <laughs> and um, had just been on this journey with me and being willing to receive that. Because what happens is now I'm getting stronger, right? I'm growing, I'm getting stronger. And now over the years, what's happened, it's now iron sharpening iron. Mm. And now I'm able to sharpen and I'm able to give back, you know. Yes. Too much to cover in, in 30 minutes. <laughs> right? I've already gone beyond that. 
Well, you know what, Lisa, on, on that note, um, we're going to end this talk, our conversation, but I do want to tell you how proud I am of you. Um, I wasn't there during the period that your husband left you, but I was there soon after. And I've seen the transformation take place of a young lady whose self-esteem was just completely destroyed. And I've seen you slowly come back. And so if I had to say anything to someone out there who's suffering from low self-esteem, I think the thing that I would say is that it is possible. Yeah. Christ. Christ. I would I would say that. And I would say to answer your question, to the to the person who's listening who finds themselves in any part of my story, where you may find some of your story, look in the mirror in your eyes and know that through the windows of your eyes is a precious, precious, precious soul and person that was created by God Almighty. And he does not make junk. You are ingenious. You only have one fingerprint. No one else has your fingerprint. No one. You are uniquely designed for a purpose, for a purpose that is divine, that is powerful, that only you can flesh out. Only you. And to know that you are loved. See, you may not know it in your heart, your head right now, but one day you will experience the powerful love the powerful love that he has for you. You are deeply cherished in love. And I think because for the person who's struggling, I believe that's a sign. Because just like we all have a, a God who loves us, we have an enemy of our souls. And I believe that there's always someone who would want to tear that down. There's an enemy that would want to take away. And the harder the struggle, the greater, the greater the reward, the, the more difficult the trial you're in, the more greater the assignment and blessing over your life, the more valuable and invaluable that you are in the purpose for which you were created. So you get to live that out if you only believe it. You may not know it in your heart, but you can at least know it in your head that you are worth more. You are loved, you are deeply cherished, you are valued, and you have an incredible plan and purpose for your life. You've been listening to Break Free, a podcast dedicated to men and women who need to break the cycle in their lives that's preventing them from moving forward. And please support me by clicking either follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And thank you so much for listening. May God bless.